Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Breaking Health Podcast. This is Tom Salemi of Healthogy. Thanks for joining us. I'm going to hand the microphone over to Steve Krupa. He has Carolyn McGill, the CEO of Adion, in his office at HealthEdge. So it's a great conversation. They were face-to-face, and I don't want to take away any more time. Carolyn hits upon their recent fundraising and talks about their future as a very fascinating startup. So take it away, Steve Krupa. Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast. Carolyn McGill from Adion. Thanks so much for having me here, Steve. Thanks for coming to my office. I know. It's such a treat. We didn't know what to do. He's like, I'm coming <laughs> to your office. And, uh, of course, we met at one point when you were buying a claim system. So that That's was right. fun to have you here. And I think mm-hmm. that was the last time you were here. So we decided that since you were coming, we'd see if we can film this and see how it looks. You know, like a real live podcast. I know. I, I mean, wish you had told me a day earlier so I could have gotten my hair done. But yes. we'll improvise. Yes, I, I needed a haircut as well. I said that this morning uh, when I woke up. I was like, I got to go make a barber's appointment, and it's going to be too late for this. So we'll do the best we can. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Um, I spoke to you uh, over the phone maybe a year ago about, or so. About, yeah. Right after you raised about, uh, I want to say, 37 or so million mm-hmm. dollars. And um, you went out and raised more money, didn't you? We did. You can't have enough money in this game. You know, it's a fun environment <laughs> right? to be raising in. Yeah, yeah. What did they say? So did you go out or did they come hunting? Like, I get a lot of calls. Mm. And, uh, you know, I get to the point where I don't return a lot of those calls. Absolutely. Because I'm like, I'm busy, and sometimes it's just a junior person at a, a fund, and I'm just like, I can't take it. Did they rope you in, or did you go seeking? So they came to me. And they came to us right after we announced our B. Um, and you're right, we raised $36 million with NEA, Flair Capital Ventures, Lakestar, and uh, Amgen came oh, in wow. as well. And when my other clients got wind of it, yeah. they said, well, hey, how about us? And, you know, for the first round, we hadn't wanted to raise every day, all day, for years on end. Right, so right. we had to nip it, you know, when we hit our target. Um, and so my initial response was, not now. I need to recruit a team. I need to really focus on building the organization and thinking about scalability, some of the priorities that we had for 2018. And then as the year progressed, clients were persistent. And we started to give thought to what would it mean to bring additional investors into the fold? It's really important to appreciate that we're focused on establishing standards for regulatory-grade analytics for using real-world data and real-world evidence in decision-making, high-stakes decision-making at that. And in order to do that, we need global support. So we started to think, okay, what would be optimal? And we recognized that if we could bring additional biopharma into the mix, especially ones that were based outside of the United States, we could include a payer. And then also we thought, you know, maybe a a health services provider broadly defined, but an organization that has a global impact. And so we were thrilled when these efforts culminated in Sanofi, which is based over in Paris, UCB, which is based over in Brussels, as our global biopharma, joining Amgen, and then Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield out of New Jersey, and McKesson Ventures. 
And together, they bring perspectives from a cross-section of the industry that we thought were very important. We also thought that as a relatively small fry yeah, yeah. in the context of healthcare, we're relatively yeah. early in our, yeah. in our existence, that it was an important message to send to regulators and others around the world that, that we have companies of consequence putting their money where their mouth is, supporting our approach to real-world evidence. That's wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you. I know how hard that Very is to do. Very exciting. Yeah. I've been on both the buy and the sell side of raising money. Mm-hmm. Um, the buy side's way more fun, by the way, just in case you're curious, <laughs> because you get to like just sit there and criticize, right? I'm sure all of them had nothing but good things to say along the way. Well, this was nice because <laughs> we didn't need the money. You know, I hadn't That's hadn't time to raise. At- intended yeah. to raise again, really, and you know, for a couple of years. Yeah. And uh, it really was the inbound interest that drove it. And then it made for a completely different situation than the first time, you know, the first iteration of our B. Did, um, and we'll get into what the business does, but I'll just sum it up Please. real quick. Uh, from my mind, it's, it's, it's um, continuously evaluating therapies to determine which is the most efficient using real world data versus really controlled clinical trial data. Exactly. Did I get anything wrong there? That's exactly right. So um, did they try to change your business model when you were meeting with them? Investors? Yeah. Did they say, well, do this instead of that or do, you know, this is what's interesting to us. Did you feel like they were trying to sway what you were doing or were they just bought into what you were doing and they wanted to be part of it? Well, we were deliberate in working with partners who are uh, familiar with what's achievable and also familiar with Atian's approach. Mm-hmm. And so, no, they didn't try to change our strategy, uh, but they did provide worthwhile perspectives on how we can develop the momentum that we need Mm -hmm. to achieve some of our growth goals. And they had great perspective on how to ensure that we're becoming stickier with our clients, as an example. And so it was more additive in that respect. But there's a buy-in even for them to want to work with us in how we're approaching this um, real-world data and real-world evidence and the relationships that we've garnered with the FDA, with other regulatory bodies around the world. So mostly uh, just very supportive. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Um, so you said a lot in the first first little piece that we talked about. But um, I want to just give you a chance to describe the company because I just threw out like a like an elevator pitch. And um, and I know that we talked about this, and I'm sure, thing, I'm sure things have evolved. How long were you on the job when we talked last time? So you've been doing this for two, two years, two and a half years? Uh, we're coming on, it's more like 18 months. Okay. Yeah. So at, at this point, how long have you been there? I've been here now 18 yeah, okay. months. Okay, so, so yes. and I talked talk to you about 12 yes, months ago. Yes, yeah. So this is your company now. Like, when you're there for six months, it's, it was somebody else's company. Mm-hmm. And you were just evaluating it and telling the board. But now you've got your own Absolutely, vision. we are in it together. Yeah. Um, all right, let's see. Let's, let's do some new company questions. Um, when you look back, uh, did you feel like you had to make significant changes in the strategy and or um, the executive team? First, should I describe what we do? Yes, do that first. Okay, I'll do that first. <laughs> so, so we Fair are okay. a health technology company with a platform that uses real-world data, which just means data outside of a controlled setting, right. to assess safety, effectiveness, and value of medications. Okay. 
And we're doing this primarily with biopharma manufacturers who are looking to answer questions about where there is unmet need for the populations that they're trying to serve, or once a drug is on the market, to demonstrate secondary indications, as an example, or safety of the medications that they've launched. For payers, which include health insurance companies or at-risk providers, large employers, governments, who want to ensure that they're putting the right drugs on formulary. They're giving their patient populations access to the medications that are most effective for them. And then finally, for outcomes-based contracting, which means that ATAN's positioned as the neutral platform where you turn to assess uh, safety, effectiveness, and value in a reliable, auditable way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're doing that with payers, with pharmaceutical companies, and you're running your own research or are you mostly doing funded research for your customers? How do you sort out what problem? Because I, I would imagine there's a very large portfolio of questions that you could be asking with your technology. Mm-hmm. And are your, your questions are customer-driven, of course. Our right? questions are right customer-driven. We initially thought we could be all things to all people. Doesn't everybody? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> and we are, we are such fans of our, of our platform, yeah, yeah. right, that we appreciate how it can be applied in so many different settings. So one of the things that we've done over the last year and will continue to refine in the next 18 months relates to making our value proposition very tangible to the purchasers right. and thinking about how we can support high-stakes questions in particular therapeutic areas, as an example, cardiometabolic, oncology, immunology, neurology, areas where we know real-world data can be used effectively, Mm -hmm. and trying to come to the table to help our partners understand very quickly which questions they can ask of real-world data, how they can surpass the regulatory-grade hurdle to actually make high-stakes decisions off of the results that they're getting from our platform. Okay. So, like, I've looked, uh, for my business, we've looked at what I think the AI community talks about as design studios and Mm. so on. They say, here, take our platform, use your own data, use a little bit of our data, whatever we have. But we have our own models that, Steve, you can use to ask the kind of questions that you may want to ask to build products for your Mm -hmm. business, right? Is that effectively what you're offering your customers is the ability to go in and use a platform themselves um, or is it a combination of the platform and consulting or it varies? So it's primarily the platform. And we believe deeply in reducing fragmentation and providing an asset to our clients that they can rely on, they can integrate into their workflow, they can add their own measures to make it their own. That's that's a Our whole reason for existing is to empower our customers in that way. That said, we appreciate that we're still on the cusp of defining when is real-world data appropriate, how do you frame a question, what kinds of analyses constitute evidence. Um, You saw the FDA as an example. They released their regulatory framework in December, and in it they said that they would be pursuing demonstration projects in three areas. So is the data fit for purpose? in a real-world setting. Uh, How do they want to design studies? So how can you replicate randomization that you would get in a controlled setting but using uh, real-world data, using statistical 
methods to do that? And then what are the tools that are most appropriate for doing this? And we know that that taken together is an important way to move the industry forward. So because we're still at the cusp of defining what those look like, then we're supporting our clients in that exploration. Is there a big debate about what those things need to look like? So there are uh, there's skeptics, which about. we love, right? Skeptics about uh, can you replicate studies? So um, you know the FDA has chosen to work with us in, in an initiative called Duplicate, where we're looking at 30 clinical trials where decisions have already been rendered. 23 of them were approvals, seven were denials. And actually, Brigham and Women's Hospital researchers are using the platform to see whether they can replicate the results in our platform, so using real-world data. And then the FDA actually just added an additional seven that would be predictive. So these are phase four clinical trials still in progress where we would use real-world evidence to replicate them. And that's very exciting because we need to at least demonstrate that it's possible, right, right to right. then go to the next level. But there's much, I think, that needs to be done to, to show that it can be done and the circumstances under which it can happen. Um, there's other questions about what are the standards that a given study needs to, uh, needs to demonstrate in order to be considered valid. And so we're partnering. The Arnold Foundation has funded another study to look at uh, look at studies that have been done with real world data to see can we replicate those results? Right. Because without that replicability, without that transparency, then it's hard to make the case that we can make high stakes decisions off of their results. Okay. So, like when I think about the conversation that people have on data. Four years ago, they would just use the word big data. And yeah, go, I know. Oh, man, big data. <laughs> yep. That's awesome. And then they would say, well, then they'd add analytics to that, right? Because data is meaningless without some analytics. Um, and then you get into sort of the idea of machine learning and then ultimately sort of rest on artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, where are you acting within the spectrum of, of that, of those sort of footprints around analytics and and predictability of data? So we're right in the thick of things. For us, it's critical that we're being expansive in the kinds of data that we're analyzing. So we're data agnostic, which is important. We have a bring-your-own-data type model. Uh, We can also bring data ourselves that we get access to through government relationships and academic relationships. But that's important because we don't have a you know, a specific model that we're tied to, if you will. And for our clients, it's important that they can analyze different kinds of data. So it could be claims, EHR, registry, and the like. In order to do that most effectively, we're using machine learning. Uh, We use AI as well, although I have to say those are buzzwords that we hear in so many different contexts now. For us, the most important thing is to ensure that we are using measures that are valid and that we are able to provide a level of transparency into the analytics that we're applying. We're not a black box, and we don't want to be, okay. because we want there to be that reproducibility, that replicability, and also an audit trail. What question are you asking? Can you register that in advance, as an yep. example, yep. so that you can't kind of keep tweaking the question to get the specific result that you're looking for after the fact? Do you judge the questions? So, for example, if you're a physicist and you're doing research, 
you know, the physicists constantly debating what constitutes a good or a bad question, you know, in terms of analyzing data. Is it, is it something that your customers that want to use the platform uh, need to understand that, you know, you can ask certain questions that are not really good questions or bad questions? Do you evaluate them or do you let them sort of learn on their own? It happens both ways. So, uh, you know, a lot of the questions that we're asking have been asked for decades, right? right? We've just used other tools to answer them, right. or we've had more limited data sets to evaluate them. And now we have the same questions, but better tools and more expansive data. So in some instances, there's tried and true, if you will, approaches. In other instances, our clients have no idea what question to ask or how to frame the question in a way that is consistent with the business problem they're trying to solve. And in that sense, we right. absolutely help them. Yeah, there's, we talked about this last time. There's a search for truth primarily because the, the, the desire is the truth will benefit who's ever asking That's the right. question. Right? Um, and, and everybody wants to know the truth first. That's, right. that's the other piece. I don't want my competitor so, knowing something before I do. Or, frankly, I don't want to be surprised by a regulator either. Right, right. Um, and so there's a question. There's always a question in my mind is how open. So, obviously, it's private. But whatever they're using the platform for is their own, at that point, the results, the analytics, whatever they discover, they own. Mm -hmm. Correct. Unless they like what they've discovered. Right. And then they have to go and they want to put forth some sort of program to use their discovery, presumably for business benefit. The primary example would be our drug, which seems to be in the same category as their drug, is actually better under these circumstances. Mm -hmm. Do you step in and help them with that publication and to help them demonstrate that, that their work is actually valid to the conclusions they believe they've reached? We are a partner every step of the way to the extent that our clients need it. And yes, we can help to demonstrate, uh, you know, I'd say becoming a partner with respect to publishing as an example is relying on our academic roots. We're very committed to the science mm -hmm. behind what we do. So helping our partners appreciate what hurdles they have to overcome to be considered valid or to, to be considered credible. And then certainly when it comes to communicating with regulators, that's something else that we're focused on. So we're able to help them appreciate when maybe they haven't completely answered the question. Right. And by the way, we love to be whole pokers, right? right. As, as good scientists always are. And so that's important to us too. And we think that in so doing, we get to a better result. You mentioned in the, in the, in the beginning that you, uh, this is a, this industry is searching for a standard, right? Mm. And I think that that's sort of the essence of a lot of startups is they sort of go in, they say, wow, we can solve all of these problems. Um, but they have to sort of create a understanding broadly as to what the standards of how they're going to present their information, presumably how people will use the system. Can you get into a little bit of detail as to exactly, because this is one of the benefits of bringing your strategics, right, to sort of create a global knowledge base to begin setting standards. Yeah, absolutely. And certainly the work, again, that we're doing with the FDA is the precursor to that. Um, but much of what we need to do is to align stakeholders. And it's not just those within the biopharma industry, right, right who are working with regulators. That's absolutely an important component. But we also believe that payers, and again, payers broadly defined as anyone who's at risk for the costs associated with caring for a patient population. 
that they too are going to start applying uh, steeper hurdles with respect to the analytics and understanding what's particularly happening for a given patient population. And, you know, we, we want to think about ways that we can iterate to move the industry forward, even in incremental ways, and let's do it. Let's figure out we're using real-world data is a no-brainer because we already have access to the data that we need. So there are conclusions we know we can draw just off of claims data. Let's do it. Sure. And then we want to get more creative about integrating EHR data, about thinking through NLP, natural language processing, how that comes to bear. And as we start thinking about clinical intervention, so in our world, I mentioned we're looking at the safety, effectiveness, and value of drugs. But our platform was built on assessing causal implications of a given intervention. So the intervention could be anything. Right? So let's think more broadly about not just taking this drug, but this drug with this care management program right. or this care pathway. And then the other component that's important to think about as we move forward relates to the data that we're taking into account itself. So right now we can set standards, as it were, for claims, for EHR, for data that is similar to that which would be collected in a controlled setting today. Well, what about socioeconomic data? And what about genomics? And what other kinds of ways can we start to define patient populations that start to truly reflect ourselves our, you know, yeah. and our loved ones and how we make decisions or how adherent we are to a given drug protocol? So let's go back to the first question that I asked yeah. you before we talked about yeah. the company, which was a lot of times startups are great ideas looking for a strategy, mm-hmm. or and sometimes it's just they're just companies that are just looking for somebody to come in and create some discipline around this is what we're going to do, this is the value proposition, et cetera. Can you take us a little bit through your journey of the last 18 months, obviously, without disclosing anything too proprietary? Yeah, of course. That's always the hardest thing, right? Mm -hmm. You you go in and say, i got to make this into a business. Yeah, well, I inherited an incredible opportunity because Ation already, by the time I had joined, had created a product, and we were working with eight of the top 15 biopharma companies globally who invested in our platform when we were itty-bitty and and hadn't really had proof points. They just saw what we were able to do and uh, look at some of our studies, and they considered them so valid that they, they signed up with us, in some cases, for multiple years. What I needed to do in joining the organization a few years in and, and with these early wins was help us figure out how to capitalize on that those early strengths of the platform, how to make the platform more scalable, right. and then how to make the organization scalable. We were experts in and continue to be technology and science. Mm-hmm it's important to bring those together, right? Our, our platform is most effective because we're, we are using technology for data science-driven decision-making. And without creating those linkages between our science team, as an example, and our tech team, then we wouldn't be able to truly create a scalable enterprise. Right. So did you find you had to add people? Did you find you had to change people's jobs? We did We did both. You know, in the early days, as you often are with a startup, you get to be all things to all people. Right. Y- you as an individual, yes. you know, one minute you're selling, one minute you're um, working on operations, right? Another yeah. minute you're thinking about your finances. And that can be a lot of fun, and it's appealing to a number of people to be able to, to be a jack-of-all-trades in that way. As we started to think more explicitly about what some of our priorities were, we needed people to focus just on marketing. 
We built a marketing department. We hadn't had one previously. Right. We hired in a CTO who has a background from Amazon, Netflix, and Groupon outside of healthcare to give us the perspective of the cutting-edge technology tools, data management, data ingestion, the kinds of things that would up our game with respect to scaling. Uh, we hired a new growth lead and thought about the kinds of selling. You know, in the early days, our platform, uh, we sold off of relationships that right. we had with our clients, and that phenomenal. You know, sure, we're sure. founded by two Harvard Medical School professors. We have incredible credibility year, uh, um, worldwide. To think about taking that beyond the immediate circles with whom we had previous relationships, we had to professionalize our sales force. And so we're focused on doing that as well. Sales pipeline. Having a pipeline, as an example. Probability of being, gonna, being deliberate. Close. Waiting that pipeline. Waiting that pipeline. <laughs> and, and predicting. What, what do we have to do? What's right? our sequence of events? Where is this customer coming from? Yeah, right. and maybe even being more formulaic in how we connected with our clients and recognizing their decision-making cycles and how we could, uh, how we could support them in those processes. Whereas in the early days, we were maybe just opportunistic, right. and now we're much more deliberate. Yeah, we have the, a lot of people here have been here for a while at, at my company, and sometimes I talk to them, and they say, well, what were you doing back then? And they said, well, it was great. We didn't have any customers. <laughs> <laughs> right? No customers getting in the way? Right, no customers yeah. getting in the way of what we wanted to do. And then you've, you go out and you sell your first customer, and all of a sudden, they're so needy. These customers, mm -hmm. they want everything, right? Mm -hmm. So do you find that they're driving your business? Are you driving the business? Is it a negotiation or a compromise, because clearly there's, you can't give them everything they want tomorrow or today. Yeah. How do you deal with, with your customers and, and aggregating what they want from you and then deciding, obviously, what to build next, right? Because I'm assuming you're building your product every day. Mm -hmm. Well, this, too, has evolved over time. So as we were getting started, we had a very defined idea about the platform we wanted to build right. and what we thought it was capable of doing. And thank goodness we had that level of focus because then we were able to demonstrate to these big-name clients how we could support them right. when they had teams of people who had decades of experience already doing this kind of thing. And we demonstrated to them, hey, we can actually do it more effectively. You should partner with us. Uh, as we've moved forward throughout 2018 and coming into 2019, we're being much more thoughtful about how the client needs are evolving. So not just thinking about, oh, the platform is an epidemiologist in a box, right, right. but how can real-world data and real-world evidence be used to answer questions that commercial teams might be asking? or business problems that a payer addresses. I'm having trouble managing my uh, cardiovascular patients, and I've tried every care management intervention. I'm calling them on the phone. I'm sending nurses to the doctor's office. I'm sending NPs to their homes. Nothing is working, or it works for some, set, some subset of the population and not for others. Why? We can use our platform to answer those questions, and so our ability to make what we do tangible in those respects become increasingly important, and those are the kinds of things that we're focused on now. Okay. And, and you're developing every day? You're releasing software? Is it a web-based We're agile. We're in the cloud. Don't you love saying that you're agile? I do, yeah. You're not waterfall. You're agile. <laughs> we <laughs> what is that? Well, good. So since you brought it up, what does agile mean to you? Agile means a, a level of responsiveness yeah. and ensuring that we're uh, when I say responsiveness, it's not just to the clients, and that's, and that's obviously very important to us. As an organization that's committed to standards, right. and not just standards in the United States, but global standards, we need to be thoughtful about what's happening worldwide and the different stakeholders' perspectives and what they're looking for. 
right? right? right. And then our own employees come to the mix with different perspectives that we love, and that diversity is super important to us. So we have a number of people who've grown up in pharma, as you might imagine. We have others who have grown up in the payer world, like me. Um, Others who come to us from at-risk provider who have employers in their background. Um, Medical device is another important area. And those who are experts in data and those who have uh, more of a science background. Right. And so uh, and then I should mention, we also have people who've come from the financial services industry. I mentioned already, you know, some of the tech plays over in Seattle where we've recruited people. And so bringing those diversity of perspectives agile to me means that you have a process whereby you don't get lost in all of these different things kind of conflicting with each other right. or chasing every bright, shiny penny. You, you have a process, and yet you're able to bring together these diverse stakeholders to come up with a product that is continuously evolving and able to really set the tone for how real-world evidence will be used in decisions. Do you have a sense of uh, how you're doing with your competitors? Do you, do you think of... Do you think of yourself as a singularity? Do you think that you're a subset of a competitive base? Where do you see the company positioned in the market? So we think about this a lot. An interesting dynamic that continues to present itself is that we find those companies that we might traditionally consider competitors. So you can imagine all of the data aggregators have an analytics platform. Sure. And as a client, why wouldn't I just want to work with the analytics platform associated with these data. Well, the challenge in that scenario is that they all all of our clients use multiple data sources, right? right? So I don't want to use six different analytics platforms associated with these different data sources. And the other component that's interesting for us is that we are very focused on regulatory-grade analytics, on the science behind what we do. You wouldn't turn to our platform to do you know, more general risk stratification as an example. Right. You want to use our platform when you when the science matters, when the rigor is important, when the transparency that we bring is critical. And that means that we have would-be competitors who are also turning to us and saying, oh, our analytics platform isn't as rigorous in that respect. So might there be a complementary play? And so that's really the the environment in which we find ourselves now and not being complacent that as a smaller organization, larger organizations who've had decades of experience right. with our targets can turn around and say they do what we do, and that can be a, that can present a significant challenge for us. So we're not complacent, and on the other hand, recognizing that we are differentiated. Very good. So what are the plans for the company? You're going to continue to, to build it, I assume, and, and grow your customer base. Mm-hmm. And are there new products that you're looking at adding? Are you thinking that you're going to buy other things or anything like that? You can <laughs> Steve, say no. right? Is that, always, that? always looking for the inside yeah. scoop. Uh, you so, don't have to tell me anything that you're not allowed to tell me. Thank you. <laughs> so we are very focused on helping our clients appreciate how our platform can add value to their most significant business decisions. And by making it tangible in those respects, we are able to 
advance how real-world evidence is used, right? And for us, that takes the form of those therapeutic area-specific modules. So these data types with these kinds of measures taken together will help you answer your question and much more quickly than you might have done it had you taken a different approach or used a different tool to get you there, right? So that's the first order of business is just sticking to our core making it more tangible and clear, packaging our solutions in ways that resonate with our prospective clients. The other components relate to uh, the other piece that we talked about earlier, which is thinking about new data sources and how they might integrate into what we consider to be regulatory grade. And then the, um, the outputs themselves, or as we're evaluating the, the interventions, where do they fit most? Um, as we think about setting global standards, we also have to have more of a global presence. And so that right. is also something that we think a lot about. Cool. So uh, one of the hardest things about being a CEO is should you go to the office? Should you be on the road? <laughs> yeah. Right? So I know you're on the road a little bit mm-hmm. in the next few weeks. Actually, I'm on the road a lot, too, now that I think about it. Um, where are you going to be so people might be able to see you? I know you've got some conference dates coming up. That you were we do about. a lot of great discussions, and I'm moderating a couple panels and participating in some. So Health Data Palooza okay. down in D.C., Fortune Brainstorm Health, Health Evolution Summit. Yeah. Uh, and um, I'll be at the summit. Oh, excellent. Oh, good. I'll look forward to seeing you there. Yeah, we're very pleased about the kinds of conversations that we're having with various stakeholders. It's, uh, we like a good debate. Yeah, sure. Is somebody debating you? Yeah, the, I think the pace, the pace. And of, around the adoption of real-world evidence and is real-world data meeting those hurdles to be used in decision-making? Right. And then, by the way, is what we do more effective than the status quo? And how do you get people to adopt a new way of doing things and recognizing that the scientific rigor that underpins our product really matters? Well, yeah. I mean, I'll just close with the with a couple of thoughts. The the clinical trial is is built around selection, like who qualifies for the trial, and it's built around placebos, right? Mm-hmm. Real world data is these are the people that are using it. They all look different than the other people that are using it. You don't really have a placebo, right? But you're able to then measure what's really happening. And the question at that point is. I'd be really curious like to, to, to just see some of this data to line up against the clinical trial, trial data. My instincts tell me that it will vary because physicians are involved and judgments are involved, diagnoses are involved, et cetera. Well, stay tuned for the results of our duplicate initiative because that's exactly... Are you going to publish those results? Are those going to be from you or from the FDA? Probably from the FDA. It's their demonstration project, so we'll have to see how that takes shape. Okay, last question. Um, I've been to the site. There's some cool papers that are listed on the mm-hmm. site. Um, people can get their hands on those papers and read them? Absolutely. Okay. We are very committed to publishing off of what we find. Okay. All right. Where else can people find out about what you're up to? I know you're on Twitter. We're on Twitter. Visit our website. Call us yeah. or come see us at one of our upcoming conferences. Okay. Thanks for coming. Thanks so Thanks much. Good to see to you. A video. Yeah, it's a blast. Right? That's okay? <laughs> yeah. There you go. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Breaking Health Podcast. If you would do us two favors, number one, subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a future episode. Number two, tell others about the podcast. Please let them know via Twitter or LinkedIn. You can find Steve and I both on those platforms. I am Tom Salemi. You can find me on Twitter at MedTechTom. Steve Krupa is at 
Steve underscore Krupa, K-R-U-P-A. Tag us both so we're part of those conversations. We'd love to hear what you have to say about the podcast. Finally, if you wouldn't mind, send me an email. Let me know what we can do better, who we should talk to. My email is tom at healthag.com. That's the word health, followed by letters E-G-Y.com. Healthag is the producer of the Breaking Health podcast and other great podcasts and conferences. Go to healthag.com to see what we're up to. Tune in next time. We'll have another great tale of innovation for you on the Breaking Health podcast. Mm-hmm.